forever. Dog. Welcome to another episode of Best Show Bests, the greatest hits of the best show, with me, your host, Tom Sharpling. If you like what you hear, make sure you join us every Tuesday night on Twitch at 6 p.m. Pacific for a brand new episode of The Best Show featuring callers, celebrity guests, live music, and plenty of surprises. Enjoy! Do I bring the hotline up or is it up? Oh, here we go. I got it. Okay. Here we go. Famous person on the line. Famous person on the line. Here we go! I'm being told there's a famous person on the line, and to go to the line with the famous person. This is so exciting. Welcome to the best show. Jeff Tweedy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm Thanks good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for, for coming on the show. This is so exciting. <laughs> That's, uh, it was, uh, the music was really loud on my phone. Hold on a second. Pet Shop Boys was the loudest I think I've ever heard waiting call waiting music. That was pretty amazing. In a good way or a bad way? Because I'll because f- heads uh, will roll over here if you say it, bad it, way. It, if you say bad way, people are getting a cardboard box a, and they're going to put plant their plant in it and they're out. <laughs> it was exciting. There you go. Okay, that's so a good. I one. think that's good. You're all safe for now. If you do anything. <laughs> it got me. It, it really got me amped up. Oh, got you all, fi- all fired up. Well, well, get ready to get fired down. I don't know what else to say. After you got fired up, you're, I'm going to fire you down now, Jeff Tweedy. Now, um, well, I figured that's why I'm here. Now, this is it's uh, it's so exciting to have you here. The new album, Cruel Country, is so great. And is at such what is it's like what is it like to be this far in with a band? You are twenty coming up on twenty years in now, right? With Wilco? Uh more like more like oh more like twenty five. Really? I think. Wait, ninety four? Uh yeah. More like maybe even longer than that. Uh I'm pretty bad with uh math here i think that uh first wilco records like no you're right oh my god seven years oh i'm so bad with i'm so dumb i'm so dumb oh my god it is yeah well yeah. i i gotta say look math no you're not dumb no i am i right, look you can you can call it 27 years uh 27 years in i'm so bad with math i mean in my mind in my mind look first of all in my mind i still think it's 2002 somehow like i'm i like i i'm always shocked when suddenly it's like Hey, you know that record came out 14 years ago. I'm like, no, that came out two years ago. But that's that on me. It doesn't work the same way it did when we were younger. I, I don't know why. I mean, we're further away from my first record than we were from, like, Elvis. Yeah. That's, <laughs> when we first started making. That is, like, the crazy thing when people yeah. are like, hey, you know, if they were to make uh dazed and confused now it would be about 1997 and i'm like no right. that's horrifying yeah. um it's, well this it's is that's not fair well it's more dramatic then because you you dropped one of the best records in the band's entire catalog 27 years deep oh thank you well i'm we're uh 
Well, I mean, thank you. I don't know what to say. That's very sweet. What, how, um, how, like, because the, the records all have different vibes, different, different feels and, and, and different attitudes to them. When does that kind of reveal itself when you're the one making the records? Like when, when do you get a feel for what the record is going to look like or, or sound like in the process? I mean, I, I really don't know. The process is kind of like, I just start making stuff. I just start writing songs. I'm kind of always writing songs, but when we start working on a record, we just start uh, kind of instinctively playing the songs. It sounds like uh, something we were excited about trying to record. And uh, at some point it happens every time that it, it just starts to have, it, it's like we discover it. It's like a, um, not really looking for it to be the same thing or not the same thing. It always ends up being a little bit different because we use this process of um, recording that just is more about finding the record than it is about setting out to make a type of record, you know? Mm -hmm. And and there's some tipping point in the process where suddenly it's like, huh, this is where, this is where it looks like we're going to be living with this one. Yeah, I mean, like we'll do, uh, for example, for Cruel Country, we we have been recording all of this sort of art pop material for, you know, since before the pandemic. And when we finally got to play together in the studio again, we started working on some of that music again. And um, at some point, just to have a new song to sing, or it just felt like this was so exciting to be in the studio together after uh not spending time in the studio for such a long time mm -hmm. um it felt like kind of urgent to have like a new song to sing or each day and the songs that were easiest to learn and feel felt the most immediate were these like kind of country songs and folk songs that i've been writing and so we started playing those uh, and i don't know if they just started sounding like they belonged on a record together. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure. It just started. The other stuff just stopped being. Um, it was. I mean, I really think that other stuff is going to be great when we, you know, when we get it out and we finish. You know, it's, it's an old mother record that's kind of almost done. But um, but I think that this stuff just felt more like uh, not very self conscious, very comforting to us to just kind of play these these more traditional song shapes and and uh um i don't know i don't know why it's just the same thing that always happens it just became uh this thing that we we're reacting to more than we were felt like we were directing it you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. sure and and just the sheer because you 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 have been on one of the uh all-time prolific streaks uh over the last bunch of years where uh I don't, I don't think you can, I don't think the faucet, you can't shut that faucet off. Uh, that songwriting faucet. <laughs> so I, I, that's a, it's a great comfort to me to make stuff up. You know, I, I just, uh, yeah, I like, I love writing songs and I, 
kind of constantly writing songs. So, yeah, I think that uh, it's it's nice to have places to put them. You know? Yeah. How, how, and how do you kind of feel like this one is good for this one's good for Wilco? This one is one I could maybe do solo. This is like like because you have so many avenues or potential destinations for the for the songs. How, when do you know which one belongs um, where? Well, the ones for a while now, the ones that I I feel like I could put across by myself with just an acoustic guitar, uh, even if I put other instruments on them, I kind of think of those as songs that I could put on my solo records because I don't have to rely upon a whole band being there to kind of communicate the song but then a lot, a lot of songs that are written like that ended up on this record um uh but that used to be the kind of the rule of thumb this one was just kind of like hey why not play some of these songs with wilco and and everybody in wilco really it's kind of material that we haven't really tackled in a long time this uh this more uh country flavored angle or something i don't know it, it seemed pretty exciting for everybody uh including me to to hear you know nels klein play dobro <laughs> uh-huh. and uh you know just uh just the way the band plays together it just sounds so nice to me to to hear oh, these songs like that it's so great and it's there's such a great feel to the whole record and it's kind of you're kind of hitting a sweet spot on it where it's it's beautiful and then it starts to get a little fractured and then it gets beautiful again it's just like it really look i'm not gonna blow smoke here but it's just i kept picking up on like a almost like a like a a sister lover vibe in spots on the record just like that brand of well i mean that's a huge that's a huge component of our vocabulary it's like as venn diagram of what everybody in wilco likes it's probably right in the center like that kind of um uh that kind of i don't know whatever scratches that itch that kind of record this sister lovers Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's broken and i don't want to fix it kind of sound you know yeah uh now how like guys are something something important about the like the just the whole band being able to play together with some vulnerability um which is hard for uh you know it's a it's a real it requires a lot of trust and and you know emotional kind of connection for a band to play uh with with that kind of uh no freedom mm-hmm. from wanting it to be perfect i guess you know but but just allowing everybody to sound um, emotionally invested, all the instruments even, you know? Yeah. And now you, you said in your first book um, that everybody recording together can kind of, and, and taking advantage of the, 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 the immediacy of the live aspect of something in, in terms of recording can kind of limit the tinkering and the, maybe fixation on pedals and whatnot. Um, it just feels like this is one of those records where it just, it, you can almost feel the relief that you all are getting to share this uh, together. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, after so many years, uh, you know, being kind of an established band and it's a band of people that, that can all play their instruments 
instruments pretty well and we have so much gear at the loft there's uh it can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes like where you're you're not really creating you're making decisions you know mm-hmm. so you're, you're just deciding uh from an infinite set of parameters which ones you want and what i think you always one of the parts of the process that i think we always have to rely upon is is limiting that you know so that you can be more creative not just making decisions but making uh, a connection with the with a smaller set of of uh i don't know with just a smaller palette or just a smaller uh set of parameters and mm-hmm. and and yeah it is a relief i think it, it like i i'm much more comfortable in that mindset than i am within the computer age looking at pro tools or things that that uh, um, a lot of people i guess feel really comfortable using i just i just feel like it's almost too infinite sometimes and um it's it's like uh it's like picking, it's like having the whole English dictionary in front of you to pick out a sentence or something like that. I, I kind of don't need that. I, I just need the, the, the words that are coming to me to mm-hmm. not be impeded by choices, you know? Yeah. You just, there it's, it's, it ultimately kind of runs counter to the, to the actual objective, which is to make music. Right. Not, it's not, like the, I just think all the like so many of my favorite records were made with just just the most ridiculously minimal uh uh I don't know like suicide's first album or you know it's just like just a couple of elements or Nick Drake Pink Moon or something like that there's so many records to just rely upon such a simple palette uh wire pink flag things like that and we're we're a six piece band so we're never going to have that that kind of austere uh really disciplined minim, mm. minimal approach but we can get closer to it by being somewhat conscious of the fact that we don't i don't know it, it kind of helps our creativity to be um i don't know just draw focus a little bit more on a few things sure sure now one of the one of the fun things in in You've written two books. They're both outstanding. I can't recommend them highly enough. One is a a memoir, I guess it's fair to say. Let's yeah. go so we can get back. And then uh, a couple of years ago you wrote a book on how to write how to write one song, which uh kind of is you exploring the process and 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 it's kind of it's funny how it it ends up being a, a memoir in and of itself while having a ostensibly a different purpose but you still are telling stories about yourself uh through the journey of explaining mm-hmm. how you write songs um but one of the things that's so interesting by the way to, I, I, been, I just started your book and i've been really enjoying it oh thank you oh that's the nicest thing i ever heard in my life honestly that um <laughs> i when i was re i reread the first book to get ready to talk to you and i was like oh no i think we have things in common that are not the fun things to have in common so you will you will be like yeah. oh i got locked up in one of those places too i think you if you stick with the book you'll <laughs> you'll you'll have some of that uh to look forward to
Hi everybody, Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. Um, but one of the things I was so thrilled by was the, that I couldn't have related to more was the kid at the grocery store reading cream magazine and doing everything you can to hold on to as much information as you could get while you're at the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's like, a, I mean, such a piece of cosmic luck that those magazines existed at that time. I don't know. I just feel, uh, I, I would have felt really lost, I think, without that window into a world outside of my immediate environment, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that's so interesting, the way music has, the, the, the consumption of music has changed is like, back then, I don't know if like people growing up now realize it was like, everything was presented as, as a fight, basically. Like, like if you cream magazine, you were, you were, you had to pick between Led Zeppelin or the clash. Like, I mean, I remember the letter sections, they were, they were saying like, pick a side kid. Yeah. I remember, uh, this really brief, period where we were insisting to our friends that they couldn't listen to Neil Young (laughs) (laughs) because he was a a filthy hippie. Yeah. But that's so funny. That's just like you're trying, but you're trying to like, like at that point, you're trying to figure out who you are at that point. And right. It was just such a a way to, yeah, like to form an identity around records. It's a really bad strategy for identity forming, by the way. Oh, I, I was, it, it, and it doesn't help when you don't necessarily have the money to go get the records yet either. Like you're just kind of reading about them and I would just go to the library. I'd read old Rolling Stones and I would just like be writing things right. down and then it would just be like, well, I don't know where I'm going to hear this stuff necessarily. But I had that same, when you say in your book that you nailed what gang of four sounded like before hearing them. That was the, that was the story of my childhood. Absolutely. And like writing the writing at that time really had to do a much better job of conveying those things. Like what's it sound like? Almost nobody writes about that now because it probably because you sound like an idiot when everybody can just listen to it for themselves. But I miss that. I miss that about rock writing. I miss when people had to be kind of imaginative and 
and explain it to somebody like they would never hear it, you know? Absolutely. It really, um, it carried so much of the water for a young music fan at that point to just, when I would go to a record store, I was just going in and it was like, it was like all of that research, it was time to start for it to start paying off when I'm at the record store and just trying to find these things, find imports and, and it just is such a strange, you know, the strangest one to me, you know, the iconography of bands. And you think about like, I used to look at those Grateful Dead records and you see a skull with a lightning bolt running down the middle of it. And then you see a skeleton with roses, a wreath of roses around its head. And it's just like, then you hear the Grateful Dead and it's just like, well, this shouldn't sound like that. Like, this doesn't match those <laughs> images. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like there's such a... Uh, yeah, I'm just reminded of, like, I think that Black Flag was, like, a popular band across the country before anybody had ever heard them it was based on their flyers and their logo alone it's so funny you say that it's like t-shirts were like news bulletins as much as anything where you would just see a husker do shirt or especially a black flag shirt you see those bars and it's just like i gotta hear what that sounds like but look for me to be fair i was just kind of like that scares me i don't know if i can handle that just yet (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i think i saw a minor threat shirt before i ever heard of a minor threat record yeah yeah lots of things like that yeah. but i hear what you're saying about the grateful dead and i guess what reminded me is, is like around the same time and those records had existed for a long time but i remember being really afraid of a lot of the punk rock kids in st louis at the black flag shows i would go to and then one of like the main key guys that seemed like the leader of the St. Louis punks. Um, I went to see black flag one time and all of a sudden he was wearing a grateful dead shirt. It was, it was controversial. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was a huge uh, shock to all of us. Yeah. It's, it's such a funny thing. The lines that were drawn and now like young people talk about music and it's just infinitely healthier to just be like, I just remember the, like, just, no, I like this and I like this and I like this. And they're, they're, like the, the walls are down between the uh, band versus band. Those things are just gone now. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. Mike, like watching my kids grow up has been really, I mean, wonderful that, that, that they, they, that they don't have to do that. They're like, um, I think it existed a little bit when they were really young. Like there was some line, there were some lines in the sand being drawn around Justin Bieber, mm-hmm. but like, like between boys and girls, it seemed like at the time, but, um, but they liked Justin Bieber. We went to see the Justin Bieber movie in the theater and both of my kids had haircuts that almost looked like Justin Bieber. And we were in an audience with an entirely uh, teenage girls or preteen girls, and they were really, really, uh, I don't know, getting a lot of attention. <laughs> no, that sounds like the greatest day ever to be a <laughs> to be a preteen or teen. Just like you're just Bieber adjacent at yeah. that point. 
and that's enough. It was a coincidence. The haircuts just happened to be how they had had their hair, but they did look like they were at the time they did kind of, and, and we walked into it, not, not expecting anything. And, and when we were, you know, it was pretty obvious that they, they looked like they were trying to look like Justin Bieber at the time. So it was, <laughs> it was a, it was a sweet, sweet memory. <laughs> oh, that's, that's amazing. Um, but I don't know. I'm going to, not going to take much more of your time. I want to ask you a couple more questions and then I want to ask you a, uh, we got a thing here, Jeff, where we're trying to, um, we need scoops. We just need scoops. Okay. We need, I'm not going to hitch over the scoop yet, but I want to ask you, what is, what is your relationship to influences been since you've been, you're so deep into, into putting out music and creating music. How has your relationship with consuming music and consuming potential influences uh, changed over the years? Um, I feel like I feel like I'm the same as when I was a kid. I have a pretty in, like just insatiable appetite for records and 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 art and books and things like that i just have uh, i have the resources to kind of feed it more than i did when i was a kid and and certainly technology uh allows this kind of crazy i don't know every friday when records come out i can sit and listen to records all day long and just sample like uh you know i feel like when i worked at a record store it was fun on days the release days because you just get the kind of open up all the records and, and check everything out. And we get to open up at least one copy of almost everything that would come out. And mm-hmm. now you can you get to do that with, you know, in, you know, hundreds of records at a time if you want. And I kind of do, I kind of just like to listen to stuff and, and read stuff until I can't take it anymore. Uh-huh. That's been the same as when I was a kid. I like, I kind of feel like I have to answer the challenge or something and make something. And, and it's kind of the way I, I feed this creative impulse that I have. That's great. Cause it keeps you, it just, you're not just cause so many people, it's the easiest place in the world to end up is when people are go, Oh, I'm, I'm all full up. I get it. I, I got enough. <laughs> and, but, but you just, yeah, I mean, you go through phases like that with old records that you've listened to a lot where you're just like, ah, I'm over that. But then, you know, I, I still listen to a fair amount of uh, comfort food, I guess, for mm-hmm. lack of a better way of describing it, things that I know I'm going to love. Is there anything that has lost its power for you over time? Because I've had that happen with certain things. It's like, look, I just when I was in, when I was 15, I started collecting beach boys records and it's been a long time me and the beach boys together. And I just think I might've mm-hmm. squeezed everything out of them that there is to squeeze. They just, the records are still <laughs> as great as pot. They're as great as they ever were. But just for me, I think I drained them. Is there anything like that that you feel like you just doesn't move the needle like it used to? Um, uh, not off the top of my head. I think that, I think I went through a period like that with the clash at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I think of being, if I'm being completely honest with myself, there's maybe only one record that really retains the, the, 
the same feeling. And I mean, it's the, it's, it's London calling, uh, which is kind of on, I don't know, unassailable, but, um, but the other records that I, that I'd loved so much when I was younger, I don't know if I, I just, I don't know if they're just recorded in a way that I can't really listen to anymore yeah. or something, but I guess that's the first thing that comes to my mind is sure. just like having a little bit of its luster, um, faded. Yeah. I mean, it's strange cause I'll go on runs with certain people where I'll, I'll just go on a deep dive with certain things. And I know it's like when I'm done with it, it's like, well, I'm probably not going to listen to the who like that for five more years. But then whenever the, the itch, shows back up again then it's like well i guess this is where we're going and but some of them i just feel <laughs> you like you know okay now that i say that though i will say that um not long after the, the pandemic started and everything was shut down uh sammy or my youngest son uh had left college and left all of his stuff at college and so at some point spencer and sammy and i got in a van and drove to yonkers to sarah lawrence university to get his dorm and packed up and bring it back to chicago and we did it in in a like we did it in like 48 hours we drove there and drove back and one one of my Uh favorite memories from that trip was on the last like it was like middle of the night last maybe three hours of the drive I asked the asked the kids if they'd ever really listened to Sandinista all the way through, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and they said, the... "Of course not." <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, they, they 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 heard it and they knew stuff off of it, but they hadn't listened to the whole thing. So we listened to it with like basically saying, "No, no skipping ahead, no nothing. <laughs> We're going to listen to the whole record all the way through." And that's probably the first time I'd done that since I was a teenager, or very yeah, probably a teenager. And that was just the landscape, you know, like foggy highway driving. And that record is just so otherworldly. Um, so I don't know. I just felt like I had to add that after yeah. no. dumping on the clash. Well, it, was, it was beautiful. Well, that's amazing. Sandinista is like this weird thing that fell from the sky that it's like, do you want to <laughs> try to figure out what that thing is? It almost doesn't count in a way. Um, it's not, there's nothing else that sounds like it. I don't know if any of any other record that sounds like it or creates the, it feels like it's from the same universe even. Yeah. And it's, it's funny how no, you don't see many other people putting triple albums out after Sandinista like that. <laughs> I think they, they were the last they, ones they through blew, that door. Yeah, they, they, sh- they shot that out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. going to happen. No, I think it's now just a couple. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions here. What's the most you ever paid for a record? Uh, hmm. I mean, I handled a lot of really expensive records working in the record stores in St. Louis, but I don't. You slapping um, the money down on the counter. Maybe. What's that? Is you slapping your money down? Yeah, um, I think I, you know, 
I'm not really that much of a record collector in terms of like just having to have like pristine copies of rare records. I, I just think maybe the first thing that comes to mind is I think I spent around $300 on a Billy Nichols uh, record not that long ago, Love Songs. Okay. That's that's right in that healthy that's range of upper register, though. 300 and you know it hurts a little bit. It, but you got to do it. Yeah. 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 I don't. I, I'm, I have, I have many friends that, that's, um, that wouldn't, that wouldn't even be a blip. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me and you both on that one where it's just like, uh, yeah, it's like, well, no, I, I kind of like, uh, my car also, uh, still, and yeah. <laughs> we're getting into either I've or territory. I've always been much more interested. I want to ha- I want to have the music. I don't care if it's on CD or cassette or a uh, record or streaming. I don't know. I just like, I want to just hear the song mostly. You mm-hmm. know? Well, who have you never seen a single movie by? Uh, hmm. I mean, probably someone I, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen a Lord of the Rings movie. Okay. Does that count? That definitely I've probably seen a Peter Jackson movie. Yeah. But. That's a good one. Uh, let's see here. Snickers or Milky Way? Snickers. I once bet my wife not that long ago that I could lose weight just eating Snickers, and I, I lost that bet. Yeah, no, I, w- I could have answered that one for you, Jeff. I, uh, it's not, they're not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, it's no i thought that i felt so full after eating one i thought i could just eat three a day uh-huh so i bought a case i bought a case of them mm-hmm. and um yeah it didn't work it out didn't work. no look you're talking to somebody who looks at the candy aisle and i'm like oh there's a payday bar that's like a healthy candy bar because it's just peanuts but they're peanuts right. glued together by sugar <laughs> well now i don't eat sugar at all actually so um i uh, that was part of my experiment and i i, I failed so so spectacularly <laughs> that it it actually put me off of sugar so oh that, that's what got you there more power to you i am not I'm, I'm i'm not at that point yet um i'm power i'm powerless over sugar <laughs> yeah well me too um now why i want to ask you about uh, one apocryphal thing when you were in uncle tupelo did you throw the nevermind cassette out the window or is that some apocryphal story i think that that happened that's my memory of it i I remember it just being i remember it just being compared to whitney houston in our (laughs) in our in our van Mm -hmm. i just thought that it sounded so produced to our ears um and I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, it's hard to tell anything whether or not it's my memories are, are really. Uh, I don't trust my memory, to be honest with you, about okay. almost anything from a certain period of time in my life. But um, that is my 
I, a memory that I would like if I was on a lie detector, I think would pass. You'd have to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It was, it sounded kind of sounded like foreigner at that point. Like it was just big. It sounded like, Bo- it sounded exactly like Boston. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean literally sounded like Boston. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I it just, uh, just needed Tom Schultz with one of his weird guitar, uh, little pedal things or whatever he had to, uh, to close the deal. But we on. were, you know, we were, we were idiots and kind of purist about a lot of things. And, you know, like it's sort of still coming out of that damage we were talking about, about drawing lines, mm-hmm. uh, you know, choosing sides about ridiculous, like arbitrary things. And, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, like insecurity, competition, comp, you know, competitiveness, whatever it was, it just felt like, you know, uh, Jack, I, it, it, I, just, I, it just felt like bullshit to us. I remember being so bummed out when I heard goo and I was like, what, what are they doing? Why does it sound like this? Like, I was just so like, I couldn't understand why they would do this after daydream nation. I was like, why is it just so clean sounding? And it, yeah. it took me years yeah. to finally put it in its proper place. I was just mad at that mm-hmm. album forever. And yeah, no, everybody was on there. It was, it was really was an us versus them kind of time. Um, now final, yeah. final thing I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to play a bumper here. Hold on. Oh, Come on, give us a scoop. We need scoops. It's all we've, it's, this is the new currency. Is It's a scooped-based economy. Any kind of scoop <laughs> you could throw our way. Jeez. Uh, Please um, give us a scoop. <laughs> I don't think I have a scoop that's going to help you with doesn't have to be a big scoop. scoop based economy doesn't yeah. have to be a big scoop could be one of those taster scoops when you go to an ice cream place and they give you a little sample that's still a scoop <laughs> sample scoop a sample scoop well i i am working on another book i don't know if that's a scoop it might be out there a little bit i am getting ready to uh, i'll probably have another book out this uh this time next year or a little bit later well, that is a um, amazing scoop. What what type of book is it? Um, well, I think it's kind of somewhere between the two books I've written. I think it's maybe more, uh, a little bit more fractured memoir, maybe an essay form, along with some commentary about, uh, I was just kind of kind of trying to, pick about 50 songs that I feel like made uh, made me who I am to some degree, you oh. know, um, and write about them, you know, kind of like the songs in my life or whatever. I think that maybe the songs I feel like I've learned the most from, but I was going to call it get well soon, everybody. Amazing. That look, I cannot wait. I love as much as I love your music. I love the two books you wrote and knowing there's another one coming, uh, makes my week. So that's exciting. And awesome. 
yeah, and I want to thank you for calling in and being a part of the show. And and everybody should check the album out, Cruel Country. It's so great. And thank you, Jeff Tweedy. Well, nice finally talking to you, Tom. I yeah. really, you know, I feel like I've known you for a long time. So thanks for the book and, and nice talking to you. Oh, man, same here. And I will see you down the road somewhere. All right. Take, take care. care. Okay. Bye. Well, how about that? We got the scoop. We got the scoop. The Best Show is produced in partnership with the Forever Dog Podcast Network. The show is hosted by Tom Sharpling and features John Worcester, Michael Lisk, Jason Gore, and Pat Byrne. The show is produced and written by Jason Gore, Pat Byrne, Michael Lisk, Brett Davis, John Worcester, and Tom Sharpling. The Best Show is executive produced by Tom Sharpling, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Co-executive produced by Jason Gore and Pat Burns. Segment producer, Michael Lisk. The show is engineered and mastered by Andrew Gleason and Wesley Knapp. Graphic design, video editing, and social media by Brett Davis. Website and technical support by Martine Sellis. And the show is recorded at Forever Dog Studios in Los Angeles. Support The Best Show on Patreon over at patreon.com slash the best show and follow us on youtube twitter instagram and tiktok at best show for life that's best show number four life thanks for listening and we'll see you next week